So hopefully that's not how your engagement went. It was a little better than that. Um, <clears throat> so if you were here last time, we discovered that you are all very, very powerful people. Whether you, you feel like it or not, you're all exceptionally powerful people. And the reason you're powerful is because your words are powerful. As, as we learn, as we've kind of continued this conversation about words in our mouths, words are exceptionally powerful. Words spoken to you, about you, and over you have the ability to direct your life, have really to the ability to direct the destination and the quality of your life. And more than that, for you, if you care about people, if you have people that you love, children, relationships, your words are powerful to them and can direct the quality and the destination of their life as well. Words are incredibly powerful. And one of the things we've learned from this, this uh, discussion with, as we've kind of gone through the book of James for the first two weeks, J James lets us know up front that, that your mouths are really kind of uncontrollable. Really, he uses the word, they're untamable. Our mouths are predictably untamable. That, that no matter what we do, no matter how old you kind of get, <clears throat> you never really gain control of your mouth. It's not like you reach a point in your life, like I've been serving God for 10 years, I've crossed the line, I don't got to worry about it, my mouth's good, I can go on. No matter how long you've been serving God, even for people who, like me who, who've gone to Bible school and seminary and preach, you never get a point in your life when you're thinking, man, I've done it, I'm good, I'm in control. Your mouths are completely uncontrollable. He said, so, so what we have to do then is kind of spend every waking moment of every day learning how to guard our mouths. And we learned this in week one, and it's going to kind of carry out throughout uh, all of our weeks of, of this topic, is this. This is a phrase we taught you. We're going to go over it again today. Is that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Quick to listen and slow to speak. Do you guys remember that phrase? Just so you don't forget, I'm going to have you repeat it again with me. You ready? The count of three. One, two, three. You guys are good. You're awake. You must have got the coffee and the bacon. Uh, quick to listen and slow to speak. That's what we need to do. And we kind of taught you this hand motion with it, right? That to be open, that we need to be quick to listen. Quick to listen and listen and listen. And for some of us, you need to listen and listen and listen and then be very, very slow to speak. James, uh, he, he, as we learned about last week, <clears throat> he spends all this time kind of talking about our mouths and talking about how uncontrollable they are and how all of this destruction and demolition can kind of come from your mouths. And then he just moves on. And it's kind of like, there it is, guys, deal with it. There was almost no hope in it. It was just like, here's the issue. Your mouths cause problems. And then he moves on. This week, we're going to look at something a little different. We're going to step out of the book of James. We're going to learn from a different author. As we learn from James, the brother of Jesus, we're going to step out of that conversation. We're going to look at, at a, a book or, or really a letter that was written by a man named the Apostle Paul. If you don't know who Paul was, he kind of stepped on the scene, not as Paul, but as Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, he was a Pharisee, he was a Jew, he was actually a really good Pharisee, he lived kind of north of Jerusalem, and during his life is when Jesus kind of stepped on the scene and his like, <clears throat> um, kind of gang of rabble-rousers are causing all this commotion in Jerusalem, Paul hears about it, and he begins to make his way down with, with one intention, to put an end to it. He wants to like stomp out the church and this movement, the way, all this, this kind of knockoff brand of Judaism that's happening, and it's, it's pulling a little bit of the old in with the new, and, and he's totally against it. He hates Christians. As a matter of fact, if you grew up and you have ever hated a Christian, Paul's your guy. He hated Christians, and he wanted to be done with them. He comes onto the scene and he meets with the high priest and he says, basically says, hey, I want you to empower me and commission me to go out so that I can arrest and I can do whatever I have to do to end this movement. I'll arrest Christians, we'll put them in jail, you can torture them, you can persecute them, you can execute them if you want. <clears throat> Paul's commissioned by the high priest to do that and that's how he kind of steps onto the pages of scripture, being the persecutor of Christians. 
And then one day he has a Damascus Road experience. You may have heard that phrase before. Even if you're not a believer and you've never been in church, that phrase has kind of creeped up into our language a little bit. This Damascus Road experience, or, or another phrase that kind of goes along with it is, I, you know, I've seen the light, I was blinded by the light. Paul was literally, this is where it came from. He was literally on the Damascus Road, on his way to persecute more Christians, and he, <clears throat> he was blinded by the light. His eyes were opened up. He saw Jesus, and he saw things that he had never seen before. And he left that experience completely changed. Instead of stomping out the church, he became a part of the church. Instead of closing churches down, he traveled around the Mediterranean basin, planting churches in every port city he could. And when he would leave the port cities, he would write them letters to encourage them and to continue his teaching. This is where we find ourselves. He wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus to encourage them and to continue to prod them. <clears throat> you've kind of turned your life around. You've become a Jesus follower. And now you're a little confused how to live and how to follow after Jesus in the mix of this culture that you were a part of. There's this almost blending coming on. And for some of you, there's like, you're kind of like hitting against this culture and you're not sure what to do. So he says, Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to write to you about that. And in particular, he gets in, into some, some conversation about our mouths and our words. But before that, I, I want to jump a few scriptures before that to kind of set the context for this conversation. Because it's really one of the most in, incredibly written uh, um, passages of scripture that have to do with our behavior and in particular that the outcome of that being our mouths. Before we dive into that, I want to say if, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a church person and you find yourself here this morning, I don't want you to hear the things that I'm about to say as me saying to you, well, you ought to, and you need to, and you need to. That, that's, that's not how I want you to interpret this at all. Because this wasn't written to you. This was written to a group of Christians. <clears throat> it would be foolish of me to hold you to a set of rules and standards that you haven't submitted yourselves to to begin with. But what I'd like you to do is as you're hearing this, I, I, I want you to understand the wisdom in this because you kind of get some free wisdom. You don't have to live this way. If you're a Christian, you do. Paul's saying if you're a Christian, this is expected of you. you. You kind of ascribe to this set of values and this set of rules. Here's how, what you have to do. But if you're not a Christian, you just get to leave with some really good advice. And my hope is at the end of this conversation, even if you decide not to believe, you would say, you know what? That is solid advice and I can change the way I speak. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into this conversation Paul has with a group of Christians, a group of people who used to be Gentiles and who have converted to faith and are kind of living out this challenge of what do I do with my faith in the midst of this culture? He, he starts the conversation this way, Ephesians 4. He says, so, basically, again, he's writing to the Gentiles who have become Christians and they're kind of working through how to live their faith. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer... And again, he's talking to Christians. The Christians must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And Gentiles here, this group that he's talking about, they're the group that, they, that these people used to be. You used to be identified with this group of people that kind of sat about outside the church and, and lived lives uh, that were all about themselves. He's saying, but now you become a Jesus follower and you're, you're inside the church and you're living a life that's bigger than yourself. You used to live this way. You used to be a part of the culture. You used to serve all of these gods, all of this, this kind of polytheistic society, this pantheon of gods. You used to live that way, but now you serve one God, your heavenly father. Not so with you. Your behavior in this new way of thinking, in this new worldview, it needs to be different. He says, they, that group that you used to be like, they are darkened in their understanding. Or basically he's saying they just don't get it. And they were separated from their life of God. And then he tells us why, why they've been separated. And this sounds offensive, but I want you to roll with this to the end of the text. He says, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
He says that the people that you're interacting with, the people that you're kind of bumping up against, it, it, it sounds really offensive when he says with the hardening of their hearts. He's basically saying this. They don't see the way the world, the way you see the world. You used to see it that way, but you've converted. You've, you've given your life to Jesus. You see it a different way. They don't see things. They don't understand things. They don't process things the same way you do. In this culture that was around the church at Ephesus, in the city, it was the culture of like the Greek gods. Do you remember the Greek gods? You probably studied this in high school or college. The Roman gods, where there were many, many gods, and the gods were kind of selfish gods, right? The gods lived for themselves. They took pleasure in toying with humanity, and they would manipulate humanity, and they would do whatever they wanted with humanity for their benefit. They would come and sleep with women, and they'd have baby gods, and then these kind of weird off-mix of baby gods would have more baby gods, and they would do crazy things like cut each other in half and create the world. You know what I'm talking about? This kind of weird, kind of, kind of polytheistic, like just a span of gods. And gods did whatever they wanted to for their benefit. Gods lived for themselves. And in this culture, this is what these people were bumping up against. A group of people that were serving the gods, that were serving the gods that did whatever they could to benefit themselves. And they wanted to be like the gods, so what did they do? They lived for themselves. It was might makes right. It was the most powerful wins. If you were born poor, like, like, sorry, you didn't have the same rights as other people did. If you were born a woman, a woman, you didn't have the same rights as men, right? This was a, a male-dominated society, and it was the strongest man, the richest man, the best man wins. Everyone else, good luck. This was the, the society that these people were born into, and there was some confusion because everybody lived their life living it for themselves, and he's saying that was your old way. That was your old worldview. That was your old way of thinking. But there's a new way of thinking, this new worldview. That's what you've stepped into. And that's what I'm calling to you to. Because in this way of thinking, in this way of living, in this way of believing, it's a lot different than how you were. He says, having, now again, he's talking about this group. Having, they have lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality. Because in, in paganism, this is true, but in paganism, there is no kind of moral absolutes. There is no moral perspective. It's not living our life with some kind of relational morality or absolute morality. In paganism, there was no morality. You lived for you. Whatever you deemed right, you did. Whatever benefited you, you did. But if we kind of flip the table a little, a little bit, when you look at Christianity, there are moral absolutes. There are relational absolutes. There is morality. Right? We, there are certain ways we govern ourselves in our relationships and in our marriages and how we treat people and, and how we respect people and treat our children. In, in Christianity, we have these kind of, kind of moral absolutes. We have this kind of morality. But in this culture, in this paganism, they didn't. They had given themselves over to doing whatever they wanted to do that benefited them. And in so doing, they gave themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Again, this is a winner-take-all world. This is just living for yourselves. And if you were born crippled, if you were born a woman, if you were you know, born a child like most of them are, good luck. If, if you had been dominated, if you had been, been taken control of by someone else, too bad for you. This society was might makes right. This society was all about doing what's best for oneself. Paul says, in the midst of all that, however, here's the contrast, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. That was your former way. That was how you used to live. That was the culture you were a part of. No longer with you. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now there's a quick little side note to this, and this is really important, especially if you're a church person. Or rather, if you're not a church person, maybe even if you're not a Christian. And, and the truth is this, that if you're, if, that if, uh, 
If you're part of the, the North America, if you're part of the Western world at all, even Europe, we owe a lot of thanks to Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the church. We owe a debt of gratitude to Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the church. And, and that's important for all of us, whether you believe or not. And here's why we owe a debt of gratitude to them. Because the things that we assume were the things that they were fighting for. Let me say it again. They were advocating for the things that we just assume in our society. You see, in our society, we assume that everyone has rights. We assume that each individual has dignity. We assume that, that poor people should be treated just the same way and with the same rights as rich people. We assume that children aren't to be looked at as less than in our society. We assume that women have rights and women have dignity just as much as men do and should have a fair shot at it. We assume in our culture that sexual harassment and sexual abuse is bad. In this culture, they did not. Paul Jesus, the church, they advocated and they fought for these things. And you see this in the remnants of societies and the remnants of nations that were affected by Christianity. In particular, the Western world with Europe and North America. These things were affected by Christianity. I'm not saying everyone's a Christian. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying these nations were affected by Christianity. And the things that these men advocated for and fought for became part of our society. So that we today assume the things that they had to spend so much time fighting for. That's why we owe them a debt of gratitude. They fought for it, and here's the thing. It worked, and it changed people, and it changed nations. You can look at the nations that were affected by Christianity and by the church and how they shifted into this idea that every, every human, that every person was born with dignity. And you can look at nations that weren't that way and how they treat people and how they treat women and how they treat children or how they treat poor people. We owe Paul a debt of gratitude. We owe Jesus a debt of gratitude. Because they fought, they advocated for the things that we only assume. And we've all benefited from it, whether we believe or not. Paul continues, he says, You are taught with regard to your former way of life, with this old way of thinking. You were taught from me when I was with you to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. He said, when I was with you, that old way of thinking, that old way of living, that old worldview, I told you you need to take it off yourself. Almost like you're taking off that old, big, heavy winter coat. Like, take it off. Get it off you and put it aside. That was the old way. You're stepping into something new. That was the old way of thinking that you need to separate yourself from it. You need to get off from it. And then he uses this interesting phrase. The phrase he said that old self was being corrupted by deceitful desires. Do you know what a deceitful desire is? What's really interesting is we all have them. We've all kind of run up against them. We just didn't have the, the phrase that Paul puts together that so eloquently describes it. A deceitful desire is this. It's a desire that you have that promises one thing and then it doesn't fulfill the promise. Have you ever desired something so much you went after it and then you get it and once you've got it, the thing that you desired, the promise that came with it, it wasn't there? You fought so hard to get it, there was a, I have to have that. It's going to make me this. It's going to feel like this. It, it's going to do this for me. And then you get it and it doesn't happen. Then what does the desire tell you? Right? It, it whispers this in all of our ears, doesn't it? It says this, next time, next time. That, that was his fault. That was, her, that was their fault. Next time it'll be better. Next time we'll get it right. Next time you'll get this. N next time. He said that's the deceitful desire, that thing that keeps whispering in their ears, the thing that leads them astray, that keeps them going and doing the wrong thing after wrong thing after wrong thing because it promises something that it never fulfills. That was the old way. That was your old self. That was how you used to live, being led, being corrupted by your deceitful desires. He said, but now I want you to take that off. And once you take it off, he says this, you will be made new in the attitude of your minds. Or essentially, you'll begin to think differently about life, about people, about relationships. 
and to put on the new self. You'll, you're created to be like God. He uses this phrase there because in, in, in this culture, this is what the people tried to do. They tried to be like the gods. The gods were in it for themselves. The God took advantage of other people. The gods lived for their pleasure and their excess. So people tried to do the same thing. They lived for their pleasure, for their excess, anything to benefit them. He's saying that you tried so hard in this old way to be like the gods. He said in this new way, when you take that old self off and you put on the new, you will be like God. Not like the gods, but like your heavenly father God in true righteousness and holiness. Not the holiness that kind of pulls back and disengages, but the holiness that engages. It engages with people you like and people you don't like. It engages with people who are like you and people who aren't like you. He's saying you'll be just like God then engaging with the people that he cares about. He said, this is a brand new world. It's a brand new day. And he invites all of them to come and be a part of it. And then after this, he begins to give his audience some specific applications. In particular, he goes right into, into how they speak, into their mouth and the words they use. He says, this whole old way of thinking, this old way of speaking, this old way of living, it's completely new. And, and here's what the new is going to look like. <coughs> Once you put on your new self, and you begin to become like your heavenly father. He says this, do not, and he gives us our first specific command, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And this word talk right here, it's, it's really the Greek word logos. That word means word. He's saying do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouths. Don't let anything unwholesome, not a single word come out of your mouth. And that whole idea of the word unwholesome, we think of it and sometimes we ascribe it to, you know, well, don't be mean or, you know, don't cuss or say swear words. Paul said, no, 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 it's so much more than that. That word unwholesome, it actually, and translated, it means something like this. It's used to describe the smell of spoiled or rotten fish. It's used to describe the smell of, of spoiled or rotten fruit or anything that's kind of deteriorating or rotten. He's saying, don't let anything like that come out of your mouths. The Apostle Paul is saying, when you think uh, when, when you, when you, uh, about becoming a Jesus follower, about being a Jesus follower, as someone who views the world and views people the way Jesus views the world and views people, he said, don't let anything that smells like rotten fish, don't let any of those rotten words come out of your mouth. Or uh, another way of saying it is this, just avoid fish mouth. Avoid fish mouth. That, that's, I think that's the easiest way to say it. Avoid fish mouth. Or if you want a visual expression of this, it, it would be just don't be this guy. I had an idea last night when I was going over my notes. I was like, you know, we shouldn't have served bacon today. We should have served sardines. What a great application. Just don't be this guy. Avoid fish mouth. Don't say things that are unwholesome. Don't say things that, that, that are just rotten and stinking and, and just deteriorate and hurt people. Don't say those things. I think this should become a phrase. I, I, I just have visions of this. So, you know, we're walking around here and somebody starts saying something they shouldn't say and, and we just call them on it. You got fish mouth. That's gross. That just stinks. It should be a phrase. You're going to start using that with your kids. I guarantee it. Fish mouth. Avoid fish mouth. He's saying when you become a Jesus follower, nothing like that. Nothing rotten. Nothing unwholesome. Nothing that, that stinks of deteriorating and rotten fish should come out of your mouth. And then looking at that same verse again, don't let anything unwholesome come from your mouth. Uh, Look at what, what's highlighted differently. This goes right back to, to James in our discussion last week. Don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth. 
He's saying this, it's going to try to. It's going to try to come out of your mouth. Your mouth is eternally, it's predictably untamable, uncontrollable. It's going to try to come out. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to control it. Don't let them out. Play defense, guard them, keep them in. Don't let them out of your mouth. The temptation is going to be there. They are going to try. It's going to come on the cusp of coming out. Don't let them come out. Avoid it. We avoid fish mouth by guarding our mouths. And you'll spend every waking moment of every day of the rest of your lives learning to guard your mouths, learning to guard your words. There is no one all, like one shot fix. There is no silver bullet. It is something you will do every single day. Avoid, avoid, don't let, don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouths. But, he says, resist words that come to the gate initially, but only. Or in other words, there are going to be some words that you need to allow out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to guard your mouths, and I want you to inspect the words. I want you to, 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 to make sure these words aren't the unwholesome words. They aren't the rotten words. I want you to inspect them. And once you find that these words aren't, un, aren't the, the unwholesome words, they aren't the, the, the rotten, the dirty, the bitter words, whatever they might be, here's what I want you to do. But only allow those words out that are helpful in building others up in accordance to their needs. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building other people up in accordance to their needs. And I'll be honest with you, when I read that, and maybe you read it like me, that sounds really nice. It sounds really sweet and really soft. It sounds really gentle. To be honest, it sounds really Christian. But, but if you're like me, that also sounds really unproductive, doesn't it? Like, like, can we really live life that way? Can we really raise our kids that way? Like, oh, honey, it's really not a good idea to see how many raisins you can shove in the baby's mouth. Like, don't you have to be a little more gentle than that? Like, if you have employees and you're in a work review, and like, you know, it would just be so great if you just showed up for work occasionally. Like, we, can you actually live that way? Because when you read this, we all get this idea that all Paul's saying is, just be nice, just be soft, just be gentle. But what he's actually saying here is, I want you to be helpful. And sometimes saying the hard thing is helpful. For some of you, you need to take that dial and you need to turn it back a little bit because you're saying the hard things, but it's not always helpful. For the others of you, you need to learn to speak up and start saying things that are helpful. Sometimes hard things are helpful. Your words are to be helpful and they're to be helpful, and here's the kicker, in accordance to the person that you're talking to. But then he gives us this word, and I love this word because it's kind of a construction word, right? He says, building each other, building them up in accordance to their needs. He says, here's what I want you. I want you to think of your conversations like it's a construction site, right? You, you show up and your materials are your words. And when you're showing up and you're conversing with the other person, are, are you building that conversation up with your words? Are you choosing the right words, building them up, trying to help them, whether they're hard words or they're soft words, whether they're nice words or they're a little bit of a rebuke, because even a rebuke can be helpful. Are you building them up? Let, let me ask this. When you leave the conversation, are they better off of having had that conversation with you? Or have you spent all your time and all of your words demolishing and destroying them? Paul's saying, I want you to build them up. I want you to build them up with your words. Think of your words as building materials. You're a builder, and you're to build people up in your conversations so that it might benefit all of those who listen, that they will be built up because of the words that you said, because it's going in accordance with their needs. Now, this is challenging. 
This is challenging for me oftentimes. <clears throat> you know, I, I just, I want to talk about what I want to talk about. I want to make sure my needs are met. I want to make sure I get to do what I want to do. I want to get the last word in. I want to make sure my point is heard. I want to make sure they are unmistakably clear where I stand and how I think and what they should be doing. And God's kind of speaking to me, but, but Jim, that's, that's all about you. That's all your way. And that's the old way. He said, this new way, it's about me. And it's about the people I love. And are you using your words? Are you spending your time building them up? Or are you tearing them down? How are you using your words? Are you acting in the old way of living? Are you acting in the new way of living? And then Paul, he gets really spiritual on us. He says, and while we're on the subject of words, when it comes to your words, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And you hear that, and that sounds really intense. Really, I, I, what I think he means is this. Don't say something to somebody else that make God goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. Don't have a conversation with someone that at the end of the conversation, God goes, seriously? I've spent all this time trying to build this person up, and you come in and you undermine everything I've done with your words. Seriously, I, I, like this is what I'm about. I'm trying to build people up, make them better, to make them better at life, and, and to, make them, to make their lives better. And you come in, and with your words, and your way of speaking, and your tone, and, and the things that you chose to say, you come in, and you just cut them down, and you undermine everything I'm doing. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't make God look at you and go, seriously? Watch your words. Guard your words. And then Paul takes the conversation in a different direction. It almost sounds like he kind of changes subjects a little bit. But, but, but he doesn't. What, what he's really doing here, he's, I think he's almost saying, you know what, I, I have this feeling that my audience isn't going to get this. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to take it a step deeper. I'm going to get a little bit more personal, and you're not going to like this. I, I, I want to go to the heart of the matter. It's essentially like he's almost asking them, himself this. I wonder if they really know why they say what they say. I wonder if they really know why they use the words they use and the tone they, they, they speak in and why they only seem to speak to these certain people this way. I wonder if they really get that. So here's what he does. He goes right to the heart of the matter and he says this. You want to be a Jesus follower? You want to learn how to speak like Jesus and live like Jesus? Get rid of all bitterness. And, and understand this Greek phrase, get rid of, it doesn't mean Stop. It literally means get rid of it. Like put it in a bag, walk it out to the street, leave it on the street, go back to the house and never touch it again. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Don't touch it again. It's, it's like, like trash. You know what? You, 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 you clean out your attic or your garage or you clean out the spare bedroom or you know, that, that mini warehouse you have in your basement. You, you clean this stuff up. You put it in a trash bag and then you get all the trash and you bring it out to the street and you leave it there for the garbage men and you don't touch it again. He's saying, that's what I want you to do with your bitterness. You're thinking, but Paul, I thought we were just talking about words. He said, I am talking about words. I am talking about words. Because the words that you speak, how you speak, the words that you use with other people, sometimes it comes from this. And when it comes from that, it destroys. And you can't be a builder, he's saying, and be bitter. You can't build people up and tear them down. They don't go together. And if you're a Jesus follower... He says, you're a builder. And if you're a builder, you can't be, builder. You can't be bitter. See, the truth is there are things that have happened to us. There are words that have been spoken to us, about us, and over us 
that have left us feeling a little bitter. Maybe you grew up with a family who didn't say really encouraging words, or maybe they did say encouraging words, but at the end of every encouraging word, there was that little hook, there was that little barb, there was that little bit of sarcasm that just undermined everything they said beforehand. Maybe you came out of a relationship where no matter what you did, no matter what you said, you couldn't do anything right, and that person was always sure to tell you and point out every mistake you made. Maybe you work at a job where it just feels like no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you are just bottom of the barrel every single day. See, what happens is that happens to us, and then it's never dealt with. It actually creates a debt in our life. And we grow up, and we move on, and we find ourselves in new relationships. We find ourselves being the parent and having our own kids. And that debt that was created, we begin to hold the people that we love now accountable to the, the debt that someone else created. We hold our kids accountable to the debt that was created by our parents. We hold our, the people that we love accountable to the debt was created by somebody else who's not even in our lives and doesn't love us anymore. And the bitterness destroys the relationships we have. And the bitterness destroys the people we love and the relationships that we love and the people that we care about the most. So what's the answer for bitterness? Does anyone know? The answer for bitterness is forgiveness. And that's like a hard thing to do, isn't it? To forgive people who aren't around, to forgive people who have said things, and maybe they don't deserve your forgiveness, but you've got to offer them the forgiveness anyway. Paul's saying if you want to be a Jesus follower, if you want to be a builder, you've got to get rid of the bitterness, and the only way to do that is to be able to offer forgiveness. Forgiveness is simply this. Forgiveness is giving someone from the past what they don't deserve so that we can give those around us what they do deserve. Forgiveness is being able to say, I'm going to forgive you, even though that happened to me all those years ago when you're not around and you don't deserve it. But I want to make sure what you did to me doesn't affect the people I love now. I want to make sure the words that were spoken over me as a child or in a relationship, maybe I'm in a new marriage and that thing that happened to me in my old marriage is lingering around in this new marriage, in this new relationship, and I can't seem to get by it. It's because we've been holding on to the bitterness. And Paul's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pack all that bitterness, all that junk. I want you to put it in a bag. I want you to bring it out to the street on trash day, and I want you to leave it there and never go back to it. I want you to get rid of all bitterness. And then he doesn't stop there. Bitterness is just the first one. He says, I want you to get rid of all bitterness. I want you to get rid of rage and anger and brawling, that, that constant going back and forth and yelling where conversations escalate, where you can't have a normal conversation with someone. Do you know anyone like that? I mean, you could be talking about like what you're buying at the grocery store and two minutes in, like voices are elevated and you're yelling and you don't even know what you're yelling about. He said, I want that kind of stuff to go away. Get rid of it. Get rid of rage. Get rid of anger. Get rid of brawling. He goes on. <clears throat> and slander, along with every form of malice. And, and, in, and just like in our conversational terms, because we don't use malice a lot, here's really what he means. He's saying, I want you to get rid of all words that demean, that degrade, and that disrespect. I want you to get rid of all those words, words that, that, that demean people, words that, that, that essentially say this, you're not worth it. Really, you're not worth it. You're not worth it to me. You're not worth anything to anyone else. You're just, you're not worth anything. Because our Heavenly Father looks at him and says, but they're worth something to me. She's worth something to me. He's worth something to me. And if you claim to follow me, then the people that matter to me should matter to you. Get rid of all words that demean. Get rid of all words that degrade. You know what grade means? It basically means you don't make the grade. You don't add up. You're not, like, that's it. You're just not worth it. And Jesus, God says, really? 
They were so worth it to me that I sent my son to die for them. And, and Jim, by, by the way, when I met you, did you add up? Did you meet my standard? No, of course not, God. Well, what did I do for you? Well, first, you forgave me. And then you gave me everything I needed that I couldn't provide for myself. I want you to love people and treat people the same way that I've treated you. Get rid of the degrading words. And then disrespect. It's the same thing as the meaning. Like, the, the respect words. I just, you don't matter enough to me. I don't respect you. God says, but I respect them. I respected them so much that I sent my son for them. And if I respect them as a Jesus follower, surely you should respect them as well. He's saying all those words, demeaning words, degrading words, disrespectful words, words that sometimes we say when we're angry, words that we use with the people we love, words that we use in our relationships because we, we just get upset and the things aren't happening our way. So we fall back to this default. Well, maybe if I, if I undercut, maybe if I demean, maybe if I degrade, Maybe this disrespectful phrase will, will get their attention. He's saying, get rid of all of that. That's unwholesome, and that has no place in the mouth of a Jesus follower. Those words should never come out of your mouth. Get rid of all of those things, he says. Put them out. Paul, that sounds, that sounds great, but what do we do? Like, what's next? He says, here's where I want you to start. Just be kind. Really, just be kind. Is that hard? Just be kind to each other. Okay, Paul, but how kind do I have to be? Well, here's what I want you. I want you to be kind, and I want you to be compassionate to one another. I want you to treat each other like you really like each other. And when you kind of upset each other, when you do something wrong to each other, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive one another. I want you to forgive each other. Okay, Paul, but, but how much do I forgive them? Because some people need a lot of forgiveness. Do I forgive them as much as they've forgiven me? He says, no, 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 no. That's, that was the old way of thinking. This is a new way of thinking. And in the new way of thinking, it's not as much as they've done for you. I want you to forgive each other just as. Just as what, Paul? Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And right there, Paul ups the standard. He said, that, you know, there was the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. He said, no, no, no. Around here, in this church, with my people, there's the platinum rule. And the platinum rule is to treat others the way that God and Christ has treated you. That sounds hard. But so, okay, now let's apply it to our speech. Because we're applying it to the way we speak in our words, and it looks a little bit more like this. Speak unto others as God and Christ has spoken over to and about you. Paul, I don't, I don't know that I like that. I, I don't know that I want to do that, Paul. That sounds hard. See, the truth is we all want to be treated this way. But it requires a lot of us to treat other people this way. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with this. I'm going to go back through and I'm going to read that last passage of Scripture one time without any interruptions, without any weird breaks. We're going to look through it. But as we do, I want you to answer two questions. And the first question I want you to answer is this. Where do I have work to do? The truth is we all do. We all have work to do no matter who you are, no matter where you find yourself. You, we all have work to do. We all have improvements to be made in the way that we speak to and about and over other people. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, is, especially in this job, anytime we, we, we deal with a subject that has to do with our behavior, it's like the week of that message, God like, sends a test. And it's not just me, I think, and it's happened to Brian as well. It's like that week, you just get that test of like, really? Do I have to deal with this now? I'm going to speak on this Sunday. 
This week that happened to me, I, I, I had an opportunity to say things that I wanted to say that would have made my point and would have drove it home, and I would have left man feeling like I was good. And you know what kept popping back in my head? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Guard your mouth. We all have work to do. Nobody's figured it out and has had the silver bullet and has just closed the case on it. We spend every day guarding the words we say. Here's the first question. Where do I have work to do? And then here's the second question. Who hopes I'll get to work soon? You know what's interesting about this whole idea of conversations and words? Is that the people you love the most are the people you hurt the most with your words. Have you ever noticed that? It's almost a little sick, isn't it? The people that you care about the most are the people you end up hurting the most with the words you use. Who, or sorry, where do I have work to do? And who hopes I'll get to work soon? Answer those two questions as we read through this. Paul says this. Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. He's basically saying you made, God made an unconditional covenant with you to love you and to show you compassion and to forgive you. Why do you create such conditional covenants with other people, even the people you love? There's conditions on your love. There's conditions on your forgiveness. There's conditions on your compassion. He said, don't do that. Make it unconditional, just like God made with you. He goes on. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then what do we do, Paul? He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, and here's the kicker, in Christ, God forgave you. Here's what I want you to do this week. I'm going to give you a little homework. And we don't give homework a lot, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the next week and I want you to memorize the first part of the scripture, 429. Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. When I was young, I memorized this. And I will tell you, it comes back to my mind and sometimes it comes back and I can catch myself and I can guard the words. Other times it comes back and maybe this has happened to you. As soon as the words come out of your mouth, you're like, oh, I can't believe I just said that. Have you ever walked away out of a conversation feeling that way? Just the other day, I remember having a texting conversation with my wife, and I texted something, and after I hit send, I actually went back to read it, saying, did I actually just send that to her? What were you thinking? Don't let any unwholesome talk. Commit it to memory, and it'll pop up, and it'll remind you in the middle of conversations when you're about to say the words you're going to regret. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit this to memory. And for those of you that might find this a little challenging, that kind of bump up against this wall, this, this thing in you that's resisting it, I want you to get a pad of paper. And believe it or not, they still, still sell pads of paper. I'm not talking about a tablet. I'm not talking about a phone or a computer. Nothing digital. I want you to get paper. And if you don't have one, come and find me, and I'll make sure you get one. Get a pad of paper and a pen, and I want you to sit down. And if, you're, if you find it hard to do this, I want you to ask yourself this question. What was taken from me? that I'm trying to get other people to pay back to me? Or in other words, what is my root of bitterness? What keeps like showing and popping its ugly head over and over again, and I just can't point a finger on it? I want you to sit down, I want you to put a finger on it. I want you to write it on the pad of paper, whatever it is. Whoever it was, whatever they said, I want you to write it down, and I want you to write, and I want you to write until you get it all out. And then here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to tear the paper up. I want you to crumble it up. 
I want you to put it in its own trash bag. And on trash day, I want you to walk it down the street or down your, your driveway or out of your apartment. And I want you to put it on top of the trash can. And I want you to say this as you're walking out there. God, I want you to pray. God, I will not let my past destroy my future. My past will not dictate my future. I am getting rid of my bitterness. I'm getting rid of my anger, of my rage, of my slander, of my malice. I'm giving it to you. And I'm never going back to it. I want you to get rid of it. Because if you don't get rid of it, it will get rid of your relationships. It'll get rid of your career. It might get rid of your kids. Get rid of it before it gets rid of the things you care about the most. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, Jim, that sounds great for people that deal with like normal issues, but you have no idea what happened in my story. You have no idea what happened in my life. Then here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you with everything that I can. Come back next week. Don't miss next week's message because if Jesus and him dying on the cross to forgive you of your sins was the greatest story ever told, next week's message is the second greatest story ever told and it's from the Old Testament and I want you to be here to hear it. It'll give you what you need to be able to love the people around you the way they deserve to be loved and the way that you want to love them but you can't find yourself doing. Come back here next week. Until then, remember, be quick to listen, slow to speak, Guard your mouth and let nothing unwholesome come out of it, but be kind and compassionate for giving each other the same way that Christ Jesus has done for you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible message. Thank you for the words of Paul. God, they can be so personal and at times so incredibly convicting, but God, they don't leave us without hope. God, they leave us with hope that if we could do this, if we could, could master this, if we could get rid of our bitterness, if we could treat people the way that you have treated us through Christ Jesus, God, our relationships can improve. Our marriage can improve. God, our, our, uh, our, our career could improve. I pray that you'd give us the wisdom to see that, God, and then give us the courage to begin to do this, to guard our words, every word that comes out, and to only allow the words out that help building people up. And as we do, God, I pray we would see things begin to turn and improve as we treat people the way ultimately you have treated us through Christ Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.